Hello, I'm Julie Swenson, Managing Director of Forward Theatre Company in Madison, Wisconsin. And this is Theatre Forward, a monthly conversation about theatre from a local, regional, and national perspective. From Madison to Manhattan, we're excited to share insight into our community while exploring issues surrounding theatre in the Midwest and around the country. Welcome to episode 101 of Theater Forward. Yay! (laughs) This week's conversation is about idea, inclusion, diversity, equity. We've talked about that on the podcast, but today we're going to talk about that last letter, accessibility, and specifically ASL interpretation. Joining me today is Samara Seferic, Forward Theater's Director of Audience Engagement. Hey, hey. And two leaders in the field of ASL interpretation, Amy Free and Tim Mum. Let me tell you a little bit about them. Hello, Amy and Tim. Um, Hello. Hello. Amy is a senior sign language interpreter and lecturer at UW-Madison. In addition to university work, she does theater interpretation, medical interpreting, and mentors up-and-coming interpreters. Tim Mum also is expanding his support and mentoring others. He was the understudy rehearsal interpreter at APT for their production of Romeo and Juliet. And he was a playwright at Forward uh, Monologue Festival this May. Tim is also on the staff of PI, which is Professional Interpreting Enterprise. Welcome, Amy and Tim. It's so great to have you here. Thank Thanks, you. Julie. Um, I wanna I wanna start with a big general question, and that is why is ASL interpretation important? Why do we do it? And Samara, you wanna kick us off sure. on that? Here's <laughs> Well, Julie, <laughs> it's 2023. Ah, I mean, maybe that's enough said. <laughs> it has come to our attention in the last several years that, you know, that we as a country, as a globe, have been screwing up. <laughs> we haven't, we haven't quite nailed it. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it's it's time to change that. And now that we know better. You know, all of the turmoil, even since 2020, now that we know better, we do better. And that, I think, is is the impetus for a lot of industries and particularly ours to look at accessibility, at ASL interpreted performances and the idea across the board, that sense of belonging. So now we're doing better. And and I think there is a big shift into accessibility, specifically in the theater industry, uh, which is exciting and so I would say to anybody, any orgs, any, you know, in, in any industry um, and individuals, if you don't know that why, if you don't have a sense of that yet, go do the work. It's time for you to now do the work. You do the learning. Figure out what that why is for you as an individual, for us as a community, in your local community, and then do the work. Then do it. Put the change into place, including I would challenge people to put a line item in their budget. You know, that's your way to to reinforce your values that, you know, we're all talking about equity, diversity, inclusion, access, belonging. That's a way to to actually express your values as an organization. So that's what I would say. Put it in your budget. Walk the talk. And uh, yeah. And here we are to talk even more about the how of it. Mm -hmm. Something to add. Why do you think it's important? I think just 
being people among people is important. And in the deaf world, so often um, people, people who are deaf are excluded, not because of the language, but simply because other people aren't willing to take the time to do what it takes to communicate. Exactly. Um, do the work. Mm-hmm. To do the work. And um, people expect the deaf person to make the effort, but they don't understand that how they can make an effort. Right. Now, you two have, are leaders in this field. Um, how did you get started? A long time ago. Oh <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, when I was a senior in high school, a long time ago, um, for some reason, American Sign Language just started coming up in my life over and over and over during my senior year of high school, during the summer, um, in between my senior year of high school and beginning college. Um, when I walked into the dorm room at college, my roommate had a sign language book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just It just kept coming up over and over, and, and I was intrigued. I was really, really interested in the language and took my first um, sign language class that spring. And the woman who taught it was an interpreter. And I was really interested in what she did in communicating. I got to meet some deaf people. They were very encouraging, wanting, you know, wanting me to do something with you know, as I was learning the language, they didn't, and one person even said, you don't have to be an interpreter, but do something, mm. do something with us. Mm-hmm. And so that was, that was my beginning. I don't think I knew until right now that we had kind of a similar story. Sort oh, of. Sort of. Tell. But <laughs> mine goes back to grade school. Oh, wow. Um, uh, yeah. Yeah. And I don't know, timeline, maybe it was happening at the same time that you were in college and I was in grade school. I don't know. Maybe. But maybe. So uh, I have always loved languages, first of all. And um, in my elementary school, we had uh, French as a requirement. And it wasn't an immersion program, but I was always learning a second language, at least since I was six years old. And so my brain just turned on to something. And then I would watch Sesame Street. And of course, at that time, Linda Bove was Linda the, the librarian who was deaf and used ASL. Yep. And of course, her tie to Wisconsin is that her husband, Ed Water Street, is a graduate of Wisconsin School for the Deaf. Yes. I didn't know that. Yes, of Deaf no West idea. Theater. Yes. Mm-hmm. So praise to Linda and Ed. <laughs> yes. Always. I give her credit. So um, I had sign language books, you know, little ones as a kid, you know, in elementary school and knew the alphabet and thought it was just kind of fun. And then it wasn't until college that I still had more interest in it. And I had a roommate who was taking a class at (laughs) UW-Madison. And she was like, Amy, you love languages and you like some sign language. So just take this with me. You know, and I took it pass fail. It wasn't in my major. That is the course I now teach. (laughs) (laughs) That is full circle. Yeah. And I never would have thought about about that happening or known. Mm -hmm. But in between all of that... um, my degrees are in something entirely different, a different field, but I found myself more and more interested in ASL. I was a relay operator for the telecommunications relay service for a while. 
after graduating college. <laughs> and then likewise, I was like, what am I doing with this? I took ASL classes, but had no intention yet of being an interpreter until I started looking into things. I, um, I met the owners of Pi at that time and they interviewed me while I interviewed them. So I was really getting an informational interview. Like, what does it mean to be an interpreter? Do I want to pursue this? And they were like, come work in our office. And then mm. there we go. I started working in the office and then decided to go to interpreter training. So, ah, yeah. But I, I love the, um, the history of, uh, that you both shared. Mm-hmm. Thank you. And, and how we know each other is you have interpreted for forward theater in a beautiful way, in an inclusive way. We offer seating for people that need it yeah. um, for our performances. It's um, uh, a matinee is dedicated to ASL interpretation. But there is a pretty big process mm. for you before you sit in those chairs, we turn on the lights and you interpret. Yes. I say if you're doing it right, correct. Right, exactly. Well, I know there's a big mm-hmm. process. Mm-hmm. I know you prepare quite a bit. Can you take us through that process? Um, we start by, well, by communicating with a theater company, of course, and then we get a script as quickly as we can, hopefully at least a month or two before the show. Um, we read the script, we immerse ourselves, we look at um, every every scene. We wanna see where does it begin and where does it end and what, what happened in this scene that makes this story different. Um, we wanna get to know the show at that level. And then we also wanna do some work with um, decisions that we're making about the show. We hold on the decisions until we've at least seen the show once, probably twice. Um, I prefer to see the show at least three times if I can. Uh, it's not always possible, but um, when I'm working with Forward, it's always possible. <laughs> um, and so as we are doing that, we are making decisions about Am I going to be interpreting this character all the way through? And are you going to be interpreting that character all the way through? And then what about the other characters? How are we going to handle that? Because sometimes uh, character C is talking with character A, and sometimes character C is talking with character B. And, you know, it just, we have to make decisions. And we, we sometimes have to split things up. We have to look at the language. We have to understand what's being said in the piece. And are there multiple layers of meaning in something that someone says? All of that is really, really um, critical to the work that we do. Right, right. Because there's a saying in the interpreting world, you cannot interpret what you don't understand. Mm-hmm. And so you really need to know the show, understand the meaning of the show before you can even put your hands up. And I think a lot of people don't realize that that's the process. I liken it to writing. Writing is not what you see on the page, right? Mm -hmm. Writing is the brain doing all of the effort of putting the words together and going for the meaning and making the imagery. And then it comes out on the page. And that's what we're doing too. It's like kind of like a form of writing in a way, but then it's coming out our hands. Yeah. (laughs) Well, it's also, uh, I I don't know that everyone knows this, that at least for forward and in, in, artistically, you usually are working as a team. So you'll have two interpreters. So what is that communication about this relationship between the two interpreters? 
What do you need to do? Communicate? Sure. Well, like Tim was saying, we figure out who plays off whom in terms of characters and then what's a natural divide. And we use our own identities oftentimes to say, okay, well, Tim, you play the dad and I will play the daughter. So a great example is when we did Fun Home with Forward Theater. That's exactly how we split it. Yes. Yes. (laughs) It just made logical sense. And then what we also are doing is looking at the script and maybe there are certain ways we want to interpret a concept or um, something really deep and meaningful to the characters. And we will agree on how we're going to interpret that so that his character signs it one way. I sign it the same way. So it's not disjointed for your audience to see that. Right. And I think I need to add to with Fun Home music. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because the soundtrack. And so as soon as we knew we were doing that show, I got that on my my Apple Tunes and listened to it obsessively (laughs) in the car. I was in the car. I was singing Fun Home and just learning the cadence and the lyrics and the pacing and who's in this and... That was another big part of it. As did I. I mean, that right. absolutely. Like Amy said, you cannot interpret if you don't understand. The first time you see a show, there's no guarantee that you're going to un- even understand the words that are said and sung, right. mm-hmm. much less what they mean and how they relate to the story. So getting to know things, re- mm-hmm. really so internalizing yes. the piece. And I think for anybody out there listening and for all of us here, you watch a movie once and you say, oh, I like it or that was interesting. But you watch it a second time and a third time and you catch more and more and more. Right. right? Absolutely. And that's what happens with us reading the play again and again, watching the play again and again. And then we just know it really, really deeply, ideally. And I know that actors and directors and others who are involved with plays respect that and understand that, Mm -hmm. that that actually happens you suddenly see that this thing that happened in act one, if it hadn't happened, the whole story couldn't have happened. But you don't know that the first time you see it. Mm -hmm. So that gives us a really important piece of information about what's that thing in act one and why do we need to make sure that that is put across and put across in a specific way so that in act two or act three, when it comes back, it really hits the the deaf people as as well as the mm-hmm. rest of the audience. Right. Yeah. Shared experience. Well, it's mm-hmm. it's so evident how much care and mm-hmm. and precision you put in this. Um, uh, when when you are on stage, we we can tell. We, uh, at least I can tell Woo. that <laughs> that there is there is a lot of work being done. Well, yeah, and uh, also Julie, there's I, something I've learned is that there's such a difference um, between artistic interpretation mm-hmm. and I, I don't know the term for something that's a little bit more standard, like medical interpretation or you know doing a press release, for example. But but boy, it is a really beautiful specialization, I think, to have a person who, yes, can sort of check the box and say, you know, I interpret. And then the other deeper level of being also an artist. And I really, that's been one of my big learning um, arcs here is that all of you who interpret plays, theater, musicals, um, you are all artists in your own right, in just exactly what you were just saying, the interpreting, the, react, the, the, the care of the audience and wanting to share that story. So I just want to, I want to tell you that I'm always moved by watching and seeing the way that you bring your artistry to your work. Well, thank you. 
Thank you. We um, we started this with um, Samara saying, uh, we need to do better. Do better. <laughs> um, what are the things that we need to do to be better? What What advice would you give to arts organizations or theater companies that would like to um, use ASL interpreters? What are we doing wrong? Help us. <laughs> okay, the mental list just populated. <laughs> yeah, 10 million things. No, but simply I would say, well, first of all, awareness, which this podcast is hopefully making a few orgs out there thinking about this in a new right. way, which is great. So thank you, Forward. I think um, thinking about perspective of your deaf audience. So there's a term called access labor. For a hearing patron who goes to the theater, how easy is it for them to order their ticket and show up? Right, they go to a website perhaps, they show up at the box office, they make a phone call, boom, they get their seats. Mm -hmm. And something that I'm really impressed by with Samara's work is that intention and thinking about the access labor that a deaf patron might have to do to come to a show at Forward. So can they just simply go to the website, click a button, order a ticket that they know will have a good sight line to see Amy and Tim? or whoever is interpreting that show, mm -hmm. and how easy is it for them to do that? And advertising, too. So if you build it, will they come? Having that information <laughs> right. on your website, on your flyers. Um, mm -hmm. Sometimes it's called a tagline, so an accommodations or accessibility tagline that just says, like, if you need something to appreciate this show, here's who to reach, and mm -hmm. make it really easy and really clear using access icons universal access icons for interpreting, for example. All of that is pretty darn simple to do, I would say, and uh, can get you started. You know, Amy, real quick, I want to give a shout out to one of our partners, and that's Overture. The Their box office and their director of ticketing, they do the internal build of, of exactly what you're talking about. And it's been so incredible to have partners who are willing to do that work. Mm -hmm. And so building it, so needing to consider those things from the beginning, from from the design, the very beginning of the design process and mm -hmm. thinking about lighting, mm -hmm. uh, making sure that there is space and time for the interpreters. But really, you know, the work that Jess does over at the box office to and everybody over there to make that actual, like you're saying, the tech, the, the, the website process, the path simple. Right. Um, Great to have people who have that similar values and are really willing to walk it. Mm -hmm. So much. Doing the work. Doing the work. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What else should we should we know, Tim? Know that deaf people don't come to theater because Tim and Amy are interpreting. Mm -hmm. Deaf people come to theater because they like theater or because they're interested in that particular show or because someone they know is in the show or because the show includes a deaf character who's mm -hmm. being played by a deaf actor. Right. Represents yes. their lived experience. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So these are the things that draw in the deaf community. And you'll want to get information out to the deaf community in any case, whether that's through the flyers and through the website or whether that's through community connections and word of mouth. Um, as much as you can, have deaf people involved in the process. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, they're not the end of all of this process. They could be integral, integrally involved yeah. mm -hmm. from the beginning, the planning of all of this to afterwards 
sitting down and talking about how did that go and what can we do better next time? And um, I mean, all of that could be there. And then that doesn't even touch on the fact that um, there could be shows that are deaf run shows that are mm -hmm. shows that are not just about the deaf experience or maybe not about the deaf experience, but are done primarily in American Sign Language or are done with deaf people as the primary creators of the show. Or could a character be a deaf character, even right. though it's not scripted originally mm -hmm. as such, does it lend itself to that option? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And that is a little bit what we're seeing with uh, Romeo and Juliet yeah, and Spring exactly. Green. Tim, you're doing Peter and the Star Catcher with mm -hmm. um, a deaf person. Uh, uh, you know, that that I'd like to think that we are thinking of all of that. And that includes mobility issues right. or someone mm -hmm. um, uh, blind, blind you know, that, exactly. that right. Mm -hmm. Can we can we incorporate all those people, and you're absolutely right, from the beginning, not just as an audience member for one performance. Right. 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 Real, more, real inclusion. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, right. people who are invested in theater become a part of theater. Yes. People, People who see theater as the thing that happens over there on State Street in that big white building, <laughs> yeah, they're right. far less likely to be interested, much less come. And yeah. we probably both are doing this because we had younger experiences of being involved in theater ourselves. Absolutely. So it was kind of like in us or we got bitten by the bug or whatever phrase mm -hmm. you might use in this business. <laughs> yeah. 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 Can I add something about logistics? You bet. I know that's kind of like a, you know, meh, boring kind of thing to talk <laughs> about. But say you, you're in org and you do hire interpreters, things like providing us the script, obviously, in advance. Plan f as far in advance as you can to let us know. So we can do that preparation. And then on site, and this is going to sound like really base, but it's true. We will need a place to stand or sit. And if we're sitting, we need something that is supportive to our backs. Because like any artist, you want to have appropriate <laughs> body mechanics, right? While you're doing your work. And even if something as simple as a place for us to get some water at intermission and use the restroom. And it sounds, again, really, really simple, but... We don't have time to wait in the line. <laughs> right, in the lobby. Right. And so think of us in that sense as artists, as right. part of your team. And we're only there maybe a day for one show. Go ahead and have someone take care of us. It helps a lot. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And I mean, speaking of the seats, I'm really big on what what am I sitting on right now? Because if there are wheels underneath me, <laughs> I have to be moving as I'm doing my and work. You're off the stage. You know, and if my seat is swiveling or rocking or wheeling, it it introduces things that I can't control easily. Um, so I like to have, I mean, again, this seems like really, really basic. I like to have a really solid chair under yes, me or right. a solid stool under me. With some me. back support. Yeah. With, with some back support <laughs> yes. and preferably a flat seat. Uh, it took, For me, mm -hmm. that provides the support I need in order to do this yeah. really physical work. Right. Because we want to be safe doing it. Right. right. Mm -hmm. At that point, it's mental and physical. It's always yeah. mental. But yeah. at that point, we also add the physical element to the show, to mm -hmm. our work. For a business that considers 
um, actors and crew and design sets that are safe. Um, surely we can get our interpreters <laughs> water, access to a restroom, and safe seating. Yay. <laughs> Let's commit to that bare minimum. <laughs> Do the work. Indeed. We appreciate it. <laughs> well, you know, the other thing, just real quick. Um, the the tennis ball ex, the tennis experience yes. of of being mm. mindful of of in that design where are you going to put your interpreters mm -hmm. so that one they feel connected to the action they can reflect back what the actors are doing in that moment and also wherever that sight line is it is not enjoyable to have to bounce your view all the way to the left all the way to the right how can you bring those the the interpreters and the actors together so that they can simply take in the the entire experience the other thing is so black. you're saying you're saying that deaf people don't have to look back and forth yes. as they're watching thank the show. you exactly no, not a ping pong tournament right. Right. right 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 and then the other thing is blackouts just the things that you might not think of as a designer or a director that because of the few second delay in the interpreting, being mindful of where and if and if you really need a blackout for an action so that mm -hmm. your deaf patrons can still be a part of the scene and engage. And it's not just halfway through a sentence, it goes to darkness, <laughs> you know? Well, and, and this is where we can work with you because mm, right, as yes. we are preparing, right. we're, when we get into the show and are doing the actual interpretation, we are not necessarily working behind the actors, we have the script in our heads. We don't have it memorized the way the actors do, but we know what's happening and what's coming. And we know that there's a blackout coming soon. And before that blackout happens, these things need to be brought across. Right. And so we work to get that done <laughs> in time with the timing of the show. Which is very similar to when we throw focus to the stage because there is something visually relevant or comedic that is happening and we need to have that timing right. So it's not like we're still signing away and it's happened and now the audience member looks and, oh, that's gone. <laughs> right, right, and sometimes that's so, critical to the story. Right, right. So that scene needs to be seen, needs to be seen. Mm -hmm. Right. 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 Not interpreted because there's not a need to because the visual message is already right there. And right. so, the clear. so, so clear. So clear. Exactly. Thank you, Amy and Tim, so much for joining us. Um, it, this was a really great conversation, an important conversation. And um, I look forward to seeing you both in the future, uh, uh, in the near future. Thank, Thank you. you so much, Julie. Thank and you. I want to say, too, there's a lot of exciting work happening in Wisconsin right now in theater and deaf theater. So we have obviously Romeo and Juliet out at APT happening with Josh Castile and uh, with two deaf actors. And it's gorgeous. And then we have we also have Peter and the Starcatcher down in Janesville, which is an ASL show. It's actually bilingual. So it will be done in, in ASL and spoken English. And Spring Awakening is coming to Skylight. Uh, with a similar format. And then of course, our show for the Garbologist will have ASL interpretation, including the great Tim Mum on Saturday, the 23rd of September at 2 p.m. 
And there's a transcript available for this episode. Uh, so all great things happening. And we're going to say that's all for this episode of Theater Forward, a conversation about theater in Wisconsin, the Midwest, and America. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm Julie Swenson, and our per- podcast is produced by Scott Hayden. You can follow us or share your thoughts on Facebook, Twitter. That's Theater Forward, as always, with an E-R. And if you enjoy this podcast, don't forget to subscribe to us and leave a comment. We would love to hear from you. We're grateful to have you listening, and we'll be back soon for another Theater Forward conversation.